0: what is going on belly up sports fam Mr. Shaka Cummings Mr. Parker Ainsworth welcome to F in Sports the podcast with two teachers great sports biggest issues Mr. Ainsworth I'm about to go back to school this week We are actually starting up. How are you doing, sir? We're starting pretty quickly. I guess we got another week of
2: orientation, and then uh, we start remotely the week after and in person a couple weeks after that. So things are speeding up here, too, in Dallas. It is hot, hot, hot outside, though.
0: You doing okay? (laughs) The weather is much more cooperative here in Kentucky. Um, We are starting in person So we actually start with students on Thursday. We have students that have the option to go remote. So I'm curious how many of them will take that option. But I'm looking forward to schools starting up. It seems like uh, maybe a little sense of normalcy, even though there's not going to be anything normal about schools, at least for a little while. Yeah,
2: nothing about school starting up is going to feel normal. It's going to be very weird, but it, anyway.
0: <laughs> you want to hit us with some gold stars, Mr. Tour?
2: Yeah. Uh, speaking of trying to find normalcy, although I'm not sure school's a great right place to find it, I'm going <laughs> to give one gold star to Alex Smith. For those of you that don't recall, he had a pretty catastrophic, and after the details came out, it was fairly life-threatening leg injury, actually, nearly two calendar years ago um and alex smith got cleared for football activities this weekend um you know most people i think if they were in their early 30s or late 20s and had that kind of an injury they would have just hung it up and called it a good career uh but alex was pretty convinced he was going to come back and play and now he's you know he's in sweatpants and no pads or anything but he's back out on the football field throwing ball around um so congrats and gold star to alex smith that was not an easy two years
0: well done if he plays one play He's got to be the comeback player of the year in the NFL. One like, One play, <laughs> one play one is all play. it takes. Um, my gold star goes to UFC. Because we had a great event last night. We saw the final fight. At least because fighters are weird. Sometimes they say they're retiring and then they don't. Uh, we saw the final fight in the career of Daniel Cormier. So gold star to him. He was a two-division champion. Actually held the belts at the same time in the light heavyweight and heavyweight division. Uh, former Olympian and he just had an incredible career. Like a lot of people will look at his career and they'll be down on it because they'll say he kind of came in second place a lot in his career. And he ended up being like the second best guy in a lot of instances. And that being said, he's held several championships and really represents the UFC pretty well. So a uh, shout out to him, gold star to him and gold star to the man who won the heavyweight championship last night. Defended his heavyweight championship versus Daniel Cormier. Stipe Miocic Miocic is probably the greatest UFC heavyweight ever. I think he's got four successful title defenses, and he's won the belt on two separate occasions. So in six heavyweight championship fights in the UFC, he's won them. So that's pretty darn impressive, and he's only lost one. And that was to Daniel Cormier the first time they fought. So uh, shout out to those guys because he's put on a great show. It was a five-round fight. It was incredible. I really enjoyed it. Mr. Ainsworth, any more gold stars from you, sir? I got one for my bearded friend,
2: James Harden. And I'm going to list off some things that, (laughs) as we wrapped up the regular season, James Harden has done that I don't think, like, people just kind of take this stuff for granted because they want to talk about how many free throws this or how many step backs that or whatever. Uh, So I'm going to throw out some stats really quickly. I'm going to try and be quick here. But James Harden wins his third straight NBA scoring title and joins Kevin Durant, Michael Jordan, and George Gervin as the only players to do so since the merger. James Harden finishes the season as the NBA leader in total points and steals, just the third player to ever do that. He's going to be an MVP finalist for his fourth consecutive year and is the only player in the NBA to do it each of the last four years. Uh, If the early voting holds, he will be a first-team All-NBA player for four consecutive years and six times in his eight years in Houston. Um, the Houston Rockets won the division for the third straight time. Uh, they're also, now that the Spurs are not in the playoffs, have the longest active playoff streak coincidentally the entire time James Harden has been there. Um, where's this? Uh, James Harden's 20-20 stat line is 34.3 points, 7.5 assists, and 6.6 rebounds, 1.8 steals. In 36 minutes a game, he's having... This run of basketball that yes like wild things happen in the playoffs, yes they run to the Golden State, but it has been incredible. And so I like I when you start getting on lists with like only he and Jordan and Iverson have done the steals and points thing, or only he and Jordan and Wiltz have done over thirty four points per game and back to back seasons thing. Or like like these different stats, so it's like, wait a second, we're comparing them to all time great Hall of Fame players in so many categories. Um we're going to talk about the bubble and how things go, and who knows what comes next. But shout out to James Harden on <laughs> another great year of basketball.
0: Yeah, he a'ight. Um <laughs> <laughs> No, I, bad respect for James Harden, because I don't think that he gets enough respect for the things that he does. Um, he's an incredible player, and you know, you know you're a Houston guy. People knock him because they're haters, but not because he's not great. Now, here's someone else who's great, but deserves firmly to be put into detention. I'm going to talk about Dabo Sweeney, who this week came out and said that if the NCAA decides to pay players, he might quit coaching. Dabo, you can sit your butt in detention because (laughs) you make money off the backs of those players that the NCAA doesn't pay. So them eating isn't going to impact what you eat. They're still going to pay you. As long as you are successful as a coach, as long as you continue to recruit these great players, and there's enough money for everyone to eat. So there's enough money for Trevor Lawrence to get a check, right? You can get one, he can get one, and his getting one ain't going to impact the fact that you're still going to make your Buku bucks because you're a successful coach with a couple of national championships. Like, it's the most ridiculous thing in my mind for coaches to come out and say something like that. If you have an opinion, about players and whether or not they should be paid and student amateurism obviously a coach share that opinion but to have this piece where if we start paying players you might quit like someone's supposed to feel sorry for you then bounce like later because we know full well that there's 150 coaches that'll jump into that seat to be the head coach at Clemson if you decide to bounce and let me say this I don't think that there's a bunch of folks who are sitting up at the NFL level saying oh yeah dabble Sweeney I don't think that there's a bunch of folks waiting to hire him. So, bounce. If that's what you want to do, you can retire, do whatever it is that you do. I don't even know what you do in your spare time. But whatever it is, you go do that then. (laughs) Like, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard.
2: I would also think, as two history teachers, we ought to point out that... South Carolinian men not wanting the people that work for them to get paid has not paid off very well for them in history. Like I, I don't think that's a great look for <laughs> Devil Sweeney, and I I think we need to reexamine that a little bit. Uh, <laughs> my first attention is going to go to Mark Emmert, um, and it's really not to Mark Emmert because the start of this is going to sound like he did something really smart, right? With the pandemic, the way it is, um, and the the way it's hard to control so many different NCAA campuses and markets and so on. Last Thursday, he canceled all fall NCAA championships across the NCAA. That's your volleyballs, your fall soccers, your, your all, all your championships across all sports, including FCS football and not FBS football. And everyone's, you know, coming to his defense about like, well, he doesn't really control the the college football playoff. It's left up to this, that, and the other thing, and it, it's not, and I'm like, here, here's the deal. Mark Emmert makes $4 million a year to control college sports. The biggest revenue pulling in money for those college sports is college football. I refuse to believe that if there was some way he wanted to be for safety's sake in charge of making sure that that didn't happen, he couldn't do it. What he's doing is he's making sure the thing that pays his $4 million happens and canceling everything else. And that, in itself, is the like logistical nightmare in this whole thing. Is no one wants to admit that there are too many millions of dollars at stake to hold this scotch tape system together in college football. And Mark Emmert sitting here saying he can't do anything about it. But if he can't do anything about it it's president in this NCAA... I'm not sure what he's doing to make $4 million. I don't know what he does all day long. And so I'm going to have him in detention to sit around and think about what is he doing to earn his $4 million keep. He might be in detention
0: for a really, really, really long time. He's got to think about why he's making $4 million. Um, my last detention this week goes to uh, NFL reporter Ian Rapoport. And I'm just going to read the tweet, and then I'm going to lose my flippant mind. Here's the tweet. Imagine if college football had the kind of leadership that the NFL and the NFL PA showed over the last <laughs> few months To put the league and its players in position to play a full season amid a pandemic Just the incredible hours of work and teamwork And the NCAA is the opposite Okay, so Ian Rappaport. If you want to diss the NCAA, be my guest Because, frankly, if you listen to this podcast The NCAA doesn't always get a lot of love On this podcast. So that organization can be dissed. In fact, I believe that in the detention right before this one, we dissed the NCAA. (laughs) So we get that. But to prop up the NFL as if they have done something, the NFL has literally done nothing. Just a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, we were talking about the tweets from NFL players who were like, Whoa, no one at the NFL level has really told us what you're going to do to kind of manage training camp. And a pandemic. No one's really talked to us about that. That was just a couple of weeks ago. And now we're trying to pretend like the NFL is going to play a full season. I mean, listen, everyone's planning to play a full season. College football planned to play a full season until they realized they couldn't. The NFL's literally done nothing. They've gone to training camps. They're not going to have preseason games. So nothing's been done. So to propagate the NFL as if they've done something when literally they've done nothing is ridiculous. Players haven't even put pads on yet. Like, what has the NFL done? Except told people to come show up and really make sure that their facilities are clean. Like, they haven't actually done anything. So, Ian Rappaport can be the dude who wants to give props to the NFL. I'll, I'll wait until I see a game played. And to say that they are going to play a full season, like, that's what's implied in his tweet. They literally might not make it through a game. So, let's just hold off on all that praise. Because literally, the NFL's plan is baseball's plan and we see how that's working in terms of COVID transmissions. And, oh, by the way, the NFL is going to do that with a roster that's twice the size. Good luck, NFL. Um, so I'm going to wait. Ian Rappaport can give out all the praise. I'm going to hold off. Detention Ian Rappaport. Hang loose, buddy. Uh, you got another detention <laughs> for us, Mr. Ainsworth? Yeah, I'm giving an attention
2: to uh, Cleveland Indians Mike Clevinger and Zach Plesak for breaking covid protocols in cleveland while they were out the funny thing about this story and it's about the only funny thing is that they were like sneaking back into the hotel after hours after curfew like in a very like six year old kid doesn't want to get in trouble with his parents kind of way and that, that the image is about the only funny thing i can find in this but then to have the audacity to try and like get away with it afterwards and they end up on the plane right and um anyway they, they end up getting scratched for a while, they had to go through the COVID or quarantine, and these kind of things, and that this whole thing gets out. Um, but they let, issue this like weak, sorry apology afterwards. I don't think they have any idea what their little rendezvous out on the town and then sneaking back in the hotel had to do. Like, like, I guess Chicago can be a fun city and all, but I don't really understand. Think they understand the kind of consequences that that could have had, aside from just
0: like them not getting paid for two weeks. So here's my deal: if I am Francisco Lindor, someone who's a star player for the Indians, I would say I am not playing on this team as long as Mike is on the team. Like, I would hardline stance. And the reason is is because Clevenger didn't come back to the team hotel, and so he didn't get caught until later in the game. Uh, and this is the metaphorical game. not <laughs> They weren't literally playing one. Um, but he got caught later, and he actually rode the team playing back. With guys on the plane, not knowing whether or not he could have contracted COVID because of his exploits during the evening. And uh, for those of you guys who are unfamiliar with Cleveland's situation, uh, Cleveland has a pitcher by the name of Carlos Carrasco who was diagnosed with leukemia in the past. So he is someone who is playing and he's at risk. And for you to be that irresponsible, like, if I was a star player for Cleveland, that dude can't be on the team because he's literally putting his teammates' life at risk. So we can't
2: ball together. And my thing is just, like, this apology just lacks any understanding of any of that. It it, it the I'd like to apologize to my Cleveland for my, ad, my action Saturday evening. I realize I made poor choices to leave the hotel and broke protocols. Like, you don't realize what the consequences of the protocols are. Like, you don't realize why those are in place you're not realizing what the danger is in having done that and it really frankly is this big warning case to me about you know this is a guy making millions of dollars to pitch a baseball and he can't he's a grown man he can't keep track of this like this is this is alarming in a lot of ways that this guy can't keep his stuff together we'll talk more about other people that need to keep their stuff together as the pod goes on it's, it's a lot it's a lot to take
0: in absolutely speaking of the pod we're going to jump into lots of great thesis statements this week we're going to take our sports sat's and uh wrap up the seeding games from the nba bubble we then will jump into a conversation about college football and whether or not we're going to see the power five break away before spring football actually is able to happen and then we'll wrap up with a question to a couple of high school football coaches would we rather be a top-notch nfl coach or an analyst on Monday Night Football. We'll jump into that a little bit. Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to jump into those thesis statements, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, we are going to take our sports SATs, specifically doing some multiple choice questions about the NBA as the bubble seating games are now officially wrapped and our playing games have officially wrapped. We now know all the playoff matchups, and I am so looking forward to this playoff season. Mr. Ainsworth, let's go with our first NBA SAT question. The player or team that had the best performance in the NBA bubble is A, Damian Lillard, B, TJ Warren, C, the Phoenix Suns, D, Luka Doncic, or E, someone or some other team. What do
2: you say, Mr. Uh, Ainsworth? I know this may sound contrarian because they are done playing, but I'm going to go with C, the
0: Phoenix Suns. What do you say, Mr. Cummings? Uh, that is the right answer. The Phoenix Suns going <laughs> 8-0 is the right A and 0 And how many of us have the conversation? This is what I always come back to. How many of us have the conversation about the Phoenix Suns where we said they shouldn't even be in the bubble? Like we said they shouldn't even be there. We didn't want the Phoenix Suns to be a part of it. Them suckers went in there and beat everybody. Beat everyone they played. And everyone had something on the line in the bubble. Now, we can begin to have the argument about who had more on the line versus who didn't have as much on the line. Here's what I'll say to all of that. Phoenix had to win. They had a lot on the line. And Phoenix played against a lot of teams that also had to win. And they went ahead and just beat up everybody. And oh, by the way, Devin Booker... Putting up 30 points per game, 30 and a half points per game, in the bubble to lead his team to this 8 and 0 record. That is amazing, and I am a UK guy, so I know that I bring that UK bias to the conversation. So in order to not make it just UK bias, DeAndre Ayton also stepped up in this bubble as well because he gave you 15 and basically 10 boards a game. And so for him to step up, that's amazing to me.
2: And I don't mean to sit here and diminish what bubble MVP Damian Lillard did or what what TJ Warren did coming out the gate or Luka Doncic was very consistent over the whole thing. It's just or, – or anyone else really. I think the deal to me is the goal of the seeding games was for a lot of these teams when to change your seed or when to get in or when to, to do whatever and the Phoenix Suns did it, and then don't get to reap the rewards of it, right? They didn't even get a chance at the play-in. And I think that's part of the interesting thing is, you know, we talked about plenty of people, I think ourselves included, at least myself, but I don't mean to speak for both of us. We're both kind of like, why are the Phoenix Suns invited to the bubble? Kind of like the Washington Wizards. Like, why are these teams in the bubble? And I almost feel like their great performance and still missing the playoffs kind of proves that point, right? Because it's like, why would you invite them if they were going to sit here and show out and do all this stuff? and not get to play like Memphis and Portland did yesterday. Like if – I understand that if Portland had lost on Friday, they'd have been in the play-in or, or whatever. But it just – it seems odd to me that it wasn't in their control. So we threw them into this environment. They played great. They did everything right. Uh, like you said, Aiton and Booker, we talked about on last week's pod, took that four months off and kind of looked like they elevated the games like a traditional offseason would have looked right. Um, they had four months off to work on their games and work on this, that, and the other. Um and then they don't get to do anything else. Like, they're just done?
0: That doesn't seem right to me at all. And it's not even just Aiton and Booker. I mean, you can go look through the Sun stats. I mean, it felt like everyone kind of stepped their game up. Monty Williams as a coach, to be put in this type of a situation and to get the most out of your guys, I think that that's incredible as well. So Phoenix did everything they possibly could do. And their reward was they go home, which feels... I mean, it's just unfulfilling, I would imagine. <laughs> if you are a Phoenix Sun player, if you're a fan, if you're the ownership in the front office, it has to be the most unfulfilling uh, end to a bubble season. And let me say this, because I'm I'm with you. What I don't want to do is get into this uh, deal where we're diminishing these other folks, because Damian Lillard averaged 37.6 points per game in the bubble. <laughs> and we can't disrespect that. I am not going to be the guy who disrespects Dame Time because he's not coming to my house and dropping 60 on me. I respect Damian Lillard, 37.6, and he did everything that he needed to do to get Portland into that playing game. They ended up with the eight seed out of the deal, so they end up only having to win one game over Memphis. He, of course, shows up. Melo shows up as well, big in that game, but uh, Portland now is, they're advanced. They're the eighth seed. They're going to get to play the Lakers, so shout out to him. TJ Warren is a name that has to be on everyone's lips now, and it's going to be interesting to see what he's able to do in the Miami series that's going to be coming up, he I put up 31 he, points per game. I mean, incredible. He put up 31
2: points per game, but he really did not play. The interesting thing about the Miami series coming up is he did not play particularly well in the Miami bubble game. His 31 points per game is an indicator of that's how well he played in all of the other games, honestly, <laughs> putting up 53 and 40-whatever. Um, and and then Luka, Luka Doncic was incredible over the series of the seven games he played as well. Um, once they'd settled into the seven seed, they kind of started to load-manage him a little bit more. Um, But he came out the very first night, and they went into an overtime game against Houston. And and I I can sit here and talk about how he missed the shot at the end of regulation. But, like, he played extremely well against an MVP-level talent right across from him and was toe-to-toe at at 20 years old. I mean, he's doing things in the NBA at 20 years old that are just incredible. Um, The goal is to win the games, and Phoenix, unlike anyone else, Phoenix
0: won all their games. (laughs) Let's go to the next uh, NBA SAT question. The most exciting NBA playoff matchup is A. The LA Lakers versus the Portland Trailblazers, B. The Miami Heat versus the Indiana Pacers, C. The Utah Jazz versus the Denver Nuggets, or D. The Houston Rockets versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. And before you answer this question, Mr. Ainsworth, know that everyone's going to call you a homer if you pick D. We're just going to call you a homer. So <laughs> um, with that level of pressure on you, <laughs> what, what are you thinking? Well, we picked these four games for the four because they
2: each have fun you know, storylines in them. And we'll talk about them as we go through. I actually think even as a Houston homer, I'm excited for the A matchup. Uh, the Lakers versus the Blazers. Perhaps that's because I'm nervous about the D matchup, but what do you think about these matchups? Which one
0: do you pick? So, I actually, <laughs> I would pick D and <laughs> I would pick the Houston Rockets <laughs> Oklahoma City series. So, um, that was my way of making sure we didn't pick the same one. Um, no, but th- that series is interesting to me. The Chris Paul dynamic, of course, is interesting. The no Russell Westbrook or when is he going to come back dynamic? I think that that's going to be interesting. Uh, that series to me sets up to be one especially if Russell Westbrook does not play that is fairly evenly matched I mean there's not a lot of teams that can really go blow for blow with Houston in terms of the size and athleticism dynamic when they're playing their small ball and it's not that Oklahoma City really can Oklahoma City though has a very dynamic backcourt and they can actually put all three of those guards on the floor at the same time as Schroeder uh, Chris Paul Houston. and um and Shea gildress Alexander. And absolutely Houston is gonna be the type of team that you could do that against and maybe have some success. I'm also curious because I think that Billy Donovan has had has had an incredible year in terms of coaching. I'm curious as to what adjustments he's going to make versus a Mike D'Antoni led team. Because I think that D'Antoni, like people look at him and they say, Oh, he's just all offense and whatever he does a great job of actually making in-series adjustments in the playoffs. So you might whip them the first two games, but then all of a sudden they win the next four, and you're like, what happened? Did Tony can coach, guys? So I think that that coaching I, matchup is interesting. I sit
2: here, and my, part of my intrigue in that series would have been if Russell had been playing, not necessarily because, like, obviously as a Houston fan, that makes me a little more comfortable, but more so because you had Harden and Russell are both former Thunder players, and you had – Chris Paul is a re- recent former Rockets player, right? And so you had this, like, back. they know each other very well. Franchises played in the playoffs in 2017 in a fun five-game gentleman sweep. Um, I think the interesting thing in that series will be how many minutes can Steven Adams play because he will get every rebound while he's on the floor. But if they're running around him on defense and he can't get from the lane out to the three-point line to cover people in time and Houston's hitting, they could be in trouble, right? So, like, I think that'll be interesting in that series. I sat with the L.A. Lakers in Portland because I think – People forget that even without Nurkic a year ago, this Portland team was in the Western Conference Finals. I know they had a little bit easier route, and they got kind of destroyed when they got there by the Warriors. But, like, they were a Western Conference Finals team a year ago. Damon Lillard is clearly playing very, very well. And the other thing about watching that series is Portland's going to just try and score 140 points every night. Like, like that's going to be their strategy against LeBron and the Lakers the whole time. Is like, can we get 140 on these guys or not? And with no Avery Bradley and no Rajon
0: Rondo, they might. (laughs) It's it's interesting because I heard someone say who's going to guard Damian Lillard, like one of these talking heads on the radio. And I'm like, what do you mean they have LeBron James? Like, let's not go too crazy and think that LeBron can't somehow manage to guard a guy like a Damian Lillard. Now, obviously, I don't think that you want him in that matchup for 40 minutes a night. That being said, you get to some crunch moments. LeBron's going to be the guy on Lillard. So then the question becomes, is Lillard dynamic enough that he can get by a LeBron James? Because that is a very difficult puzzle to solve. Now, what what you're pointing to is the fact that they also have CJ McCollum. So like Damian Lillard is giving you almost 40. CJ is going to be tough. I don't know. How the Lakers are going to deal with that. Obviously, I think that AD can manage Nurkic. The other piece that doesn't get talked about, and this is something that I said before we started getting rolling with this thing is Carmelo Anthony actually plays clutch in clutch moments. He just hasn't had a ton of opportunities in his career. And as we There's saw in the playing game, time. man. gosh you had to sneak that one in huh (laughs) Uh, but if we think if we look at the playing game who hit the big shot at the end to secure the victory for portland that's carmelo and so that's going to be interesting as well portland has a lot of weapons
2: and so they can go big with carmelo with the three and then they can play Collins and Nurkic. They can go small with Carmelo at the four and play Gary Trent and CJ and Dame. And Gary Trent has been on fire from three. I don't know when that runs out, right? I thought the most interesting thing about the playing game as it leads into this series was like you're talking about down the stretch at the end of that game, it was CJ McCollum Bucket, CJ McCollum Bucket, CJ McCollum mid range, CJ McCollum kick out to Carmelo Anthony. Like and so we all think of Dame time because he's getting thirty seven a night in bubble. But the truth is, is if they put LeBron on Damian, CJ McCollum showed yesterday, even with the busted up back, he's re- he's ready to do this too. And I don't mean that LeBron and Anthony Davis can't do on the other end. I mean that that makes for fun basketball when the two teams are going to be doing that back and forth.
0: Absolutely. Um, it's interesting, Hassan Whiteside too. I wonder what role he can play in this series because defensively, he's a guy who you can throw on AD. And he's going to give AD some trouble in the post. It's going to be a little more difficult, obviously, when AD goes outside, outside his face is up but in the post he can do some things
2: i think the other two series are interesting though and it's worth pointing out in miami indiana they have this like jimmy butler tj warren rivalry that stems back to when they got in a fight right before the season broke those right? pictures
0: uh, on twitter were amazing
2: <laughs> i forgot about and that and then Right, but that's fun, and now that's a first round matchup. And TJ Warren got really hot to start the play, to start the bubble playing games. Um, Utah versus Denver is interesting because that's a rivalry people don't think a lot about, but they are like geographically relatively close together. Um, they are teams that have, like, really big lineups in a lot of ways. Utah is hurting right now. They don't have Bogdanovich, and Mike Conley is going to be out for at least the first few games. Obviously, he's got to go see his child to get born, and there's nothing wrong with that. He's just going to miss a couple games for it. And so that's going to, you know, may throw off the series in a little bit. But that's
0: a fun, exciting rivalry series as well. I don't see how Denver can lose that series if Conley doesn't get back and in some way, shape, or form. Influence the series, especially because Michael Porter was so incredible in the bubble, and Jamal Murray's now back and healthy. I feel like, man, Utah really needs Conley, and of course. Him going to see the birth of his son absolutely makes sense. So how quickly can he get back? How quickly can he influence the series? And Parker, you said something that was so uh, impressive to me. When people think about Utah, I just want you to repeat it on pod because you said it off pod about Bogdanovich and uh, Mike Conley. So a year ago, Utah identified, you know, we're trying to
2: make it farther in the playoffs and we're trying to do this and the other. And they added two important pieces – Conley as a defensive-minded point guard and Bogdanovich as a guy that's a two-way player who can stretch the floor, you know, big, long shooter. And now they're starting the playoffs without either. And it's so clearly, like, <laughs> they identified these are two holes in their roster that they're still going to not have filled at the start of the playoffs. Conley will, may be back by the end of the first round, but Bogdanovich has opted out of the – he, he had shoulder repair surgery. It sounded like he might have been scheduled a little bit late in the offseason or the pause season if you want to call it pause season but to he's going to miss the bubble but um it i don't i don't know how they will fare without those two guys because they clearly thought they needed them i think it's fun because it is a rivalry though and it's not one people typically think of
0: let's go ahead and wrap up with one more nba sat question i will say i did not anticipate this question coming yesterday when i heard the news that alvin gentry had been canned in new orleans so the question is Who's going to be the next Pelicans coach? So, multiple choice, Mr. Ainsworth. The next coach of the New Orleans Pelicans will be A, John Calipari B, Ty Lu, C, Mark Jackson D, Jason Kidd E, Mike D'Antoni What do you think? Uh, phew. This
2: is tough. And- <laughs> It's because it pulls at a bunch of heartstrings for me. I'm going to say B. Ty Lou. Um, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and let you say it.
0: Well, actually, I, so here's the thing, right? What I've said to you, basically, I mean, as consistently as I can remember saying it, is that if Mike D'Antoni doesn't get to the Western Conference Finals, I think he's going to get canned in Houston. Because I think that Houston's going to say, It's time for a new voice or something to that effect because they've gone all in with this small ball thing, right? And so if the Tony's available, he actually makes a lot of sense to New Orleans with a point guard like Lonzo Ball. You have Brandon Ingram. You have uh, Drew Holiday. And oh, by the way, a guy who played only like 25 games this year in Zion Williamson who would be incredibly dynamic, right? And so that could be a lot of fun. But it does feel like normally when you can a coach that you don't just go ahead and get a guy who is just like the coach you got rid of. Because if you wanted that D'Antoni system, Alvin Gentry knows that system as well as anyone. uh, And you just let him go. So I look at those. And let me just say, the guy who I want to believe will get the job is Mark Jackson. I'm curious to see your thoughts about Mark Jackson because I don't think you're as high (laughs) on him as I am. I actually think that the guy, though, is going to end up being Jason Kidd of the names that are on the list. So... You asked for my thoughts on Mark. First of all, I want to say part of the
2: reason I didn't say Mike D'Antoni is because I don't want him to leave Houston as a Houston guy. I think Mike D'Antoni and that team could actually be a lot of fun, and it would be a great way to watch those guys grow. And Mike D'Antoni has been kind of at the forefront of the way basketball is moving to the outside, spread them out, shoot a lot of threes kind of game. And they're a young team that has a lot of athletes and and could benefit from that. So I understand why why Mike D'Antoni makes sense as well as E. I just didn't want to pick him. And then you asked about my opinions on Mark Jackson – It's really hard for me to sit here and watch and think about, like, Mark Jackson today's basketball when, like, as soon as he got the can, the Warriors started the best half day of basketball I've ever seen happen. Like, (laughs) like, I know that that's not necessarily super fair, but I sit here and I think about it like Mark Jackson was a head coach of that team the year before things went nuts in Golden State. And part of that's timing. Part of that's growth of players naturally. Part of that has nothing to do with him. But part of that also to me implies, like, in coaching – and maybe we could say this about a lot of the guys in this list, you know, um, there tend to be like coaches that are like the guy before the guy in a lot of ways. Like when you have a young team and maybe that makes him the right guy for this team. But when you have a young team, you want like a guy to develop and grow your team. And then there are guys that are like the next guy in line. And, and I don't know that Golden State knew they had Steve Kerr in that role. I do say Phoenix as a. They had him in an office position in Phoenix, but Phoenix knew they had a pretty good guy in Steve Kerr many years ago. I I just. If I'm hiring a coach, I don't want the guy that, as soon as they fired him, the words went on this tirade of five years of, you know, championship appearances and three rings. Um, Jason Kidd, as much as I have that against Mark Jackson, Jason Kidd's the one that you said you think can get the job, and I don't understand how he keeps getting any job.
0: It's interesting because. I think I said this to you off pod. He's like the Freddy Krueger of coaches. Like, you can't kill him. (laughs) You can't kill Jason Kidd. He just keeps coming back. Um, He's actually had success, though, everywhere that he's gone. And he's obviously a guy who gets in front of the decision makers and impresses them consistently. He almost got the Knicks job. So I look at him and I say, he's a guy who's going to get into a front office and he's going to impress the heck out of guys who have to make that decision, especially because they're looking at their young core, and they're saying, man, can someone come in here and really elevate things, and Jason Kidd's going to be like, dude, that's me. Now, what I will say is, based on the connections between the Port the Portland, <laughs> based on the connections between the New Orleans Pelicans front office to the old Cleveland regime and Ty Lu, Ty Lu obviously could have it in. He's worked for the GM there, right? So that's interesting. But I, I, I'm not this guy. I I guess when I look at Mark Jackson and you kind of assess him as the guy before the guy, I'm like, no, he's the guy who made that team what it was. And then Steve Kerr really elevated it. That team, Golden State was not a playoff team before Mark Jackson gets there. Mark Jackson gets there, they're a playoff team. Now there's a natural progression that comes along with Steph Curry and his game with, with Draymond. Draymond is really the piece. Draymond elevates his game to a point that it was incredible. Um, And so, I don't know. I, I have a lot of, affinity for mark jackson but here's what i will say it ain't gonna be john calipari guys Okay, so we stop this foolishness he doesn't even <laughs> need to be on this list he is going to die and be buried in lexington cemetery so just know well, that he ain't going and so i think that's
2: kind of how i said it on tyloo is he has a loose connection to the regime there in new orleans and I kind of ruled out the other four in my head. And so that meant I was like, I don't really have any way to rule out Ty Lue. (laughs) He is an NBA (laughs) champion coach. I mean, you could also call him assistant coach to LeBron, the head coach, but he was an NBA champion coach and had basically three years in Cleveland that he was at least in the NBA finals. And then has literally only been the head coach for six other games. Like he only has six other NBA head coaching games, his resume. He's been with the Clippers for this season, right? As an assistant coach. and, I kind of trust the Doc Rivers coaching tree. I know he has one, he only has one, the one ring to his name with a few other finals appearances, but I, I kind of trust guys that have been around Doc Rivers. And so I would think that Ty Lue has only learned and gotten
0: better as a coach in this season with Doc Rivers. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement?
2: Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis?
0: So, I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So, maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But... thesis statement of the pod and this references the NCAA and some of the changes that have come due to the global pandemic the thesis statement reads the power five will break off before they have any one conference play in the spring I say that to you Mr. Ainsworth how do you grade that thesis statement so I'm gonna
2: this is it hits me as weird for a lot of different reasons I'm going to end up at like a C minus. And I like I I just, there's part of it that I just think are, anyway, we'll, t- we'll break it down. I'm at a C minus, I'm conflicted about it. What do you think?
0: I think I'm going to be significantly higher. I think I'm actually going to be B plus, just to leave myself a little wiggle room. But it almost feels like an A, and we'll get into why that is. So Mr. Ainsworth, we had a little bit of dissension with this particular <laughs> thesis statement. The power five will break off. Before they have any one conference play in the spring. You were low C. I was high B. So I'm curious. Talk to me about why that is. Because I know that you're of the mindset that the Power 5 is eventually going to break away. And... And I absolutely
2: think that this 2020 circumstances between the social justice movements of the summer and the COVID the entire time and the way that we're approaching this current college football season and guys like Justin Fields being like, guys, I just want to play. I transferred to this school to play and now I can't play. Um, I, I think it is all heading towards the Power Five breaking away. And we will look at that in the very near future when they break away as 2020 was a monumental big time year for that happening. I think the, the reason I gave it a C minus is because does that happen by February? Seems really fast. <laughs> like, I, I think that I don't, and I think just logistically, it's not gonna, because they haven't done any, unless there's behind the scenes work we don't know about, I guess. It doesn't appear to be like there has been a lot of work to this point. And I would think if they're gonna do it by this spring, like February they would have done more work towards it by now. We would have heard more about this possibility. Can I jump Um, in and
0: interrupt you a little bit? You really don't think that there's been work done behind the scenes for the Power Five to break away even before global pandemic? Like in my mind, I'm thinking know, that I, they've been working toward it, like, permanently.
2: I, I think my thought is more about like how much confirmed action and what kind of confirmed actions can I see? Say that there have been. I'm sh- I'm not saying that the commissioners have not talked about it. I'm I'm sitting here looking at stats of things. The Power Five conferences earned 2.9 billion in revenue in the fiscal year of 2019.
0: Right, <laughs> that's a lot of money, man. <laughs> that's a lot of
2: money amongst five conferences. Don't tell me when the entire NCAA was under four. That the, you know, teams making more than three fourths the money hadn't thought about it, right? Um, I guess I mean more so that, like, I don't have concrete evidence in front of me about what steps they've been taking and how serious those steps have been. But that, you know, you got my stats out of me early. Making more than three fourths the money indicates that this should have been happened, right? (laughs) This should have already (laughs) happened. And we don't need to be, why are we sharing any of this cash? If, right, like, what, that, that's where I'm coming from on this. If, I'm in a room with 10 friends, and five of us are making enough money for all you know, all 10 of us to eat. Five of you got to go find somewhere else to eat. That's just <laughs> how this goes. Um,
0: you are and, the worst friend. I don't want to go to dinner <laughs> with you at all. Um, let me say, I, I think that the sentiment is one that I definitely agree with. Uh, I think that there's probably been more conversation behind the scenes about breaking away than what... We can prove. Now, obviously, I can't prove it, right? And so what you're asking for is that level of evidence. What I will say is that we did have the uh, provost from the University of Minnesota who came out, and we actually talked about it on this pod weeks back, who had talked about the fact that the Power Five has had these conversations and feels like they're ready to break away. Now, conference commissioners and lots of folks within the NCAA came out and kind of denounced that, right? They, that guy's just crazy talk. I, where there's smoke, there's fire. And so I would imagine that especially because of global pandemic, those conversations have been accelerated. I'm imagining that these conversations have already kind of occurred, but folks were like, hey, listen, we got TV deals and we've got college playoff deals and we can let some of these things kind of finagle and work themselves out. And I'm also sh- thinking that there were some of these folks who would like to see maybe even a few more teams be added to the power five when they break away so for instance what markets can we potentially get that we don't have access to now are there some of those television markets that it could make sense to see if some of these teams will come with us does it make some sense for us to bring the armed forces academies with us because now that's actually an international market and people don't realize that but the armed forces network listen it literally is an international market because uh, soldiers are stationed everywhere. So even some of those conversations, I think it probably happened behind the scenes. And what I think that the pandemic has done is just accelerated some of these things. And I would imagine that there are folks who have the sentiment of, if we get to the point where they're telling us that we can't play, then we need to, we need to jump this uh, process pretty much full speed and let's find a way to break away. Now, the question becomes, as you mentioned, can we do it by February? Well, I don't know if we can do it by February. But we're assuming, and I still think it's a big assumption, that the NCAA or that the conferences that have decided they're not going to play in the fall are going to have a viable idea for playing in the spring. I don't know if they're going to have a viable idea for playing in the spring. And even if they come up with a viable idea for playing in the spring, I don't know how they implement that idea and play another season (laughs) coming back in August. So essentially you're going to tell athletes that they have to play football basically for an entire year without any sort of meaningful break. And now how are you gonna do that in terms of the physicality of the sport? What are you gonna do in terms of eligibility of athletes? What about athletes who transfer in mid season? So they'll come in in January. Are those folks going to be eligible for the spring season? There seems like a lot of questions that need to be answered. What are you going to do if someone has a bad spring and you want to get rid of your coach? Are you going to allow that person to be like, how are you going to get a new coach in such a short time frame? What about if a guy wants to transfer? Like there's just so many logistical well, pieces. And, and so
2: that's, again, I sit here with a C-minus on it because the thesis does assume that some conference will play this spring. Um i will say the ncaa has shown me very little indication they care about health of football players outside of anything more than money makers and so i don't know that the ncaa will care a lot about how many games they're playing in the calendar year 2021 i could see but you know potential coaches and programs maybe feeling differently about like we've got a lot invested in these athletes but again it, they look at these guys a lot like commodities in a kind of disturbing way and that the veil is off now like it is very clear that that's the way that the ncaa is looking at these cash cows in a lot of ways
0: i get that and, but keep in mind the ncaa isn't going to be the one who is really going to be making this power five decision, right? It's going to be as much college presidents and conference commissioners as anyone else. And while the NCAA might not care, you know what's going to be on the mind of college commissioners uh, and college presidents. It's going to be liability, That will be on their mind. (laughs) Yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is because of
2: all the different nuances and angles to having a spring season, I'm sitting here also with it in the low low C range because it does assume that that will happen. And while I would like to get around to watching college football at some point this year, I don't know that I can necessarily assume that that will happen. I, I will say that we did have the two conferences that to this point, as we record this on Sunday afternoon, the two conferences that have moved their seasons did quote move their seasons right that the they it was not canceled they were just you know quote postponed and as quote postponed they're hoping things are better to play they have not figured out the logistics of it yet. there's no way they've done all of the nuances of finding out how they would do that or how they would turn around and play three months later anyway um and then and then you end up in this real interesting scenario where like if we really do have the power five split where three play this fall and two play this spring Is it going to be like Ohio State's the 2021 champion and Alabama's the fall 2020 champion? And they just, we just have two. Like, you know, they're just, there's even if they pushed through and had it all done, it's a weird, weird, weird thing. I don't know how they would function with any of that. Keep Um, in
0: mind that historically we've split championships before, right? Michigan and Nebraska have done it. No, Michigan and Nebraska have done it in my lifetime. So, well,
2: and uh, everyone talks about those Reggie Bush, Matt Lyatt USC teams.
0: Oh yeah. The, I B- about the that. BCS,
2: like the first Matt at Reggie Bush BCS championship team, they were the third undefeated team and didn't get to play in the championship game, but had a share of the title afterwards because they were one of two undefeated teams left. I and always think the next... that
0: Nick Saban's first championship is at LSU. and That's a split championship. Right. Absolutely. It's a split
2: championship. There's been BCS produced many of them. Um and then you want to go to the Wild Wild West many, many decades ago. It felt like every conference thought their champion was the national champion. So who knows, you know, like who knows <laughs> how far you want to go back with that. But it's just it's an interesting thesis. Because I do feel like we're accelerating the process of the Power 5 breaking off in the year 2020. I just don't know if we get there by spring season that I also don't know if it's going to happen. So as I sit here, I don't know that I can give the thesis higher than a C- for being creative and looking at things differently.
0: Yeah, I guess for me, what I'm saying is I don't think that spring season is going to happen. And because I don't think the spring season is going to happen, by default, the power five is going to break away before football <laughs> games played in the spring. Because it's just not going to happen. So therefore it's a pretty high grade for me. The question really becomes is there going to be a viable plan for playing in the spring? And if we get a viable plan for playing in the spring, then I would fail this thesis because I think that the spring season, they'll find a way because the revenue The television money is incredible. The revenue is incredible. And we know college football funds athletic departments. What we also are now starting to find out is that college football also funds well beyond the athletic department at certain institutions. So they have to get that television money. You can't get it without games. And people are hoping beyond hope that in terms of the global health uh, conditions within this country that we'll be able to play football in the spring uh, at the collegiate level. And so... If they can find a way, they're going to find a way so that way they can get access to that revenue, especially, I mean, here's the big piece, Parker. So the television revenue we know is big. What if in February we have a plan where we can actually put fans in the stands and so now they can actually make the revenue back in the stadium, selling concessions, parking? I mean, right. man, they'll find a way to make that happen or to get that revenue because right now, if you're the Big Ten, you feel like it's all lost. Right, and the SEC, and, who's going to play in the fall, they're going to lose the in-game revenue or the in-stadium revenue anyway, right? Well,
2: unless it's Jerry Jones, I that, but that money like, <laughs> that could be potentially there in the spring, right? The potential to have all that money in the spring. And that these, again, I don't think they look at these people as people. I think they look at them as ways that the university is going to make money to fund all these other things. I just, I can't quite rule out a spring season yet. Although I don't know how logistically it happens. So I I sit here very mixed on the thesis.
0: No, it's a tough thesis. Again, especially if you, if you believe football is going to happen in the spring. If you believe football is going to happen in the spring, man, this is an easy enough F. Because the Power Five is not going to break away by February. I just don't believe football is going to happen in the spring. You know, I I'm a football guy. I would love to see it happen. And I don't know that the conditions of our planet are going <laughs> to allow for it to happen. And again, the liability piece, while I understand that not everyone considers that college presidents have to, because their names will be the ones on those lawsuits. And
2: an interesting thing about college presidents that I heard in the last two weeks, actually came from Bomani Jones who's done a lot of work on the college football situation this, this time around. Um, He pointed out that we think about the ADs and coaches with power, but the presidents really have the power. And every college president fancies themselves something more like an Ivy League college president. They either want to be an Ivy League college president. Like, they're much more on the academic side of the world than any AD or head coach involved in these institutions.
0: And that sentiment is evident in the fact of, look at the first two conferences to say we're going to move to the spring, right? If you start looking at academic institutions in this country... The Big Ten has a bunch of great ones, and the Pac-12 has a bunch of great ones. Now, I'm not saying, as someone who graduated with a master's degree from an SEC institution, that the <laughs> SEC doesn't have great academics. What I'm saying is, is exactly what, you, what you're saying. There's a hierarchy to being a college president, and the Ivy League shuts down first. Everyone wants to be the president of Harvard or Yale, Right. If you can't be the president of Harvard or Yale, then it's also be the president of Northwestern, Ohio State, or Michigan. It's also be the president at Stanford, right? And so you start thinking that way. These college presidents are thinking probably along the same vein. And so for many of them, you're right. To see the Ivy League shut down was probably a big signal to them that football is not going to happen in any meaningful way in 2020. Maybe we could do something in the spring.
2: All right, Mr. Cummings, uh, or should I say Coach Cummings as we approach football season? For those Absolutely. that don't know, uh, <laughs> Mr. Cummings and I both teach high, both teach history and coach high school football in our respective schools. Um, and so it's, it adds another layer to this. So now I know you coach a high school football team, but I'm going to put you in the place of a high profile NFL team. Uh, maybe particularly the LA Rams. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the thesis reads, if I were a high profile NFL coach, I would take the Monday Night Football Analyst job rather than keep coaching.
0: I'm going to go with a C on that. Mr. Ainsworth, how are you going to grade this one? <laughs> oh, I, I feel like now I'm a horrible coach because I'm going so far the
2: opposite route. I'm thinking like an <laughs> A minus. I really, really do not. Uh, yeah, no, I would easily go on the A minus route on this one. <laughs> All right, Mr. Cummings. So. Clearly, you care so much more about football than I do. But no, on a more serious note, you you gave this thesis a low-grade, implying, to me anyway, that you would rather continue coaching in the NFL as a high-profile NFL head coach than taking the Monday Night Football analyst job. So explain your reasoning a little bit.
0: Absolutely. Let's start with a little bit of background for folks who might not be aware of where this thesis statement is coming from. It came out this week that... The L.A. Rams head coach, Sean McVay, actually was approached by ESPN to quit his head coaching job with the L.A. Rams to come be an analyst for Monday Night Football. So he's an active coach. He would have to give that up to go be the analyst. And ESPN was willing to pay him. Uh, and now when you see this guy who can remember plays from like... 20 years ago that he's called you're like oh my god if Tony Romo's good this guy's gonna be incredible and I'm sure that's what ESPN was thinking right um and so it's just an interesting question because we know that there are abundant positives to come with coaching let's start with the money because that's not something that we can put aside <laughs> I mean an NFL coach who is not very good is making five million dollars a year like that's just how that works so that's just a going rate and so you could make that Buku money, and maybe you're not going to make as much as an analyst. It just depends, right? I mean, if you're Sean McVay, they were going to throw some money at you. Peyton he's going to get any money that he wants. He basically gets a blank check if he ever decides he wants to be an analyst, right? So... You look at some of these guys and they make some decent money. But the reality is most folks who start in that role are not making that level of money. So um the money with coaching is incredible. I also look at this as there's different levels of NFL coaches who have a certain level of prestige. Right? And so Sean McVay has a certain level of prestige. He's never won a Super Bowl. Like, I would actually be more inclined, if I'm him, to jump to Monday Night Football. If I'm Bill Belichick, what am I jump? I'm not jumping anywhere. Like, I win. <laughs> I'm the greatest coach of all time. What are I to leave for? Oh, I'll, listen, they can't even fire me at this point. Like, I'll leave when I want to leave. And I don't want to leave for Monday Night Football. I think that I can win with Cam Newton. You know what I mean? So it would depend on even the level of prestige as to whether or not I would consider. Um, and so that's really the biggest piece for me. And that's why I went c Um, The other reason why I went C is going to be the reason that you talked about why you're going to go A, right? Which I imagine is just the lifestyle of being an analyst versus being an NFL coach. So, Parker, go ahead and jump in because I'm probably going to agree (laughs) with everything you're going to say is an A.
2: We sit here. We understand the coaching grind, right? We are high school coaches, so it's obviously nowhere near the time constraints or whatever. But – There are plenty of nights I'm getting three or four hours of sleep because I get back from a game late, I'm uploading film, I'm doing this and then breaking it down. The coaching lifestyle is a grind. It is all film all the time. You cannot stop working. And then when the season's over, you do it all over again for every single kid you're looking at drafting. And then when the draft is over, you're doing it all over again in the summer and off season, trying to get ready for the fall to be better. Like This is a nonstop, year-long process and you're make you know sean McVay's contract although it's not, not like all the incentives are not out there it looks like he's making between two and a half and three million dollars a year to do a lot of work i mean I, you can see here and talk about how an nfl football coach in the grand scheme of the world maybe isn't worth it but he's making between two and a half three million dollars a year he is also in the most competitive division in football right now with the seahawks the niners his team and then you also have this up-and-coming cardinals team that added a guy named deandre hopkins the offseason so like you you really do have a challenging job ahead of you and you're telling me i can turn that job in to work 16 mondays a year or what 17 mondays a year whatever it is like wait a second i'm all in on this (laughs) 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 i don't this, like, yes, those... And I don't mean to diminish the work that Monday Night Football... Oh, it's and, too you know,
0: late. Tony Romo's already in your mentions. Let me just tell those,
2: you. <laughs> <laughs> those guys absolutely put in work ahead of time to do their research on the teams and this and the other. But I don't think it... There's a reason that a lot of these guys are former players and head coaches. It's nowhere near the amount of time. And then I look at, like, what they paid a guy... Like Jason Witten to do this job. Jason Witten's contract was four and a half million dollars,
0: and he was terrible. He was and he terrible. Was terrible. <laughs> I think
2: I can do better than that. I'll take. I'll tell ta- ESPN right now. Call me up. I'll take half of what you paid Witten and do a better job. I promise. <laughs>
0: Forget like, ESPN. I- call me up because I'll take half of what Parker was going to take. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and so all I'm saying is, it's like it seems like a way easier life for a similar, if not better, salary and. The stress of like not getting to sleep and is my job in jeopardy if these guys can't pull it together on Sunday and like all of those things are gone as well. I don't mean to say that I would not take the job of a high profile NFL head coach either. Right? I don't mean to diminish how great that job would be. I'm just sitting here saying that if I can not sleep for the entire fall and grind and like be sitting in a film room with a computer grinding tape all the time, and I can, like, leisurely spend my week researching the two teams that play Monday night and then go out and watch a game and talk about it while it's on the air and do that for just the fall.
0: I, I, I don't think this is a tough decision, man. <laughs> I will say this. I think that only one of the two of us in this conversation has had this experience. And maybe this would change your perspective a little bit. And you tell me if I'm wrong, Parker. Since we've started coaching, and we're just high school coaches, man. High school coaches at divisions and districts that are small i mean like so it's it's not even what some folks might consider high school football to be right we have started coaching you've never not coached since you started coaching right like you've never taken a season off that's fair i've never i've never so I, this is going to be my eighth year in
2: schools and i've been in school since i got out of school myself and the funny thing is is um i i started teaching right after college and i played ball in college and so i really have been around football every fall since i was in like the sixth grade um and, and so while i understand what you're saying there i don't actually say that this is going to be a year away from football right
0: i guess it's not a year away but it is different it is, it is a lot an, different it is a lot it's different It's different being an analyst and being a coach like when you're in the locker room when you're with the guy i i say that Because Parker knows that I've had years where I didn't coach. And I've always missed not coaching. And now at this point in my career, I'm moving into my second decade of teaching, right? So um, I have definitely had time where I didn't coach. I missed not being a part of the grind, not being a part of the team, not being in the locker room, not preparing for something on Friday nights. And when you don't have that, man, that's... a It can be a tough deal, especially if you're close to the game still, and that's the piece that would be interesting with the Monday night football thing, because with the Monday night football thing, you're so close to the game that maybe you would feel like, okay, I'm too close to the game, I need to get back into what I'm used to doing, which is coaching, because that maybe feels more comfortable to you, and so... I think that that piece might be difficult. It might be interesting to consider. And again, if I put something at a C, normally it's because I can see the A piece, I can see the F piece. I can see everything that Parker said, which is to just have a life that's a little more leisurely in terms of what we know coaching to be. And I do wonder, man, if you tried to do that, how how much of coaching would you miss?
2: I don't think it takes you out of coaching forever, right? Like John Gruden is the football example of coaching, analyst, back to coaching. And he was great at being an analyst. He was entertaining and he was fun and in spite of two wide banana, I, that's a lot of fun. They had to um, give him
0: $10 million to get him out of the booth, right? <laughs> right. And so maybe you're really only upping your
2: price tag if you're in the booth. <laughs> I, I don't
0: know. Madden never went back. John Madden won that Super Bowl coach for a couple more years and never went back to coach. Friends that is another edition Of F in sports Managed to hit some pretty major topics this week in terms of the NBA and college football, and then got into a little fun one with the uh, <laughs> NFL and Monday Night Football job. Uh, Parker, why don't you go ahead and give folks your socials so they can tell you how bad an analyst you would be. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, come see my amateur analyst abilities at uh, Painsworth512 on Twitter and Instagram. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H 512. All one word. That's my handle for Twitter and Instagram. I also will respond to the F in Sports Twitter. Uh, you can find that at F I N S P O R T S, the number two. All one word, uh F in sports two on Twitter, I'll dash P A and Shaka will dash CC, so you know which one of us you're talking to. Shaka, we also have an Instagram.
0: Absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore Sports. And you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Shaka Cummings at C H A K A C U M M I N G S Friends. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the podcast. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, interact with us. Let me know how much a better analyst I would be than Parker. <laughs> I would love that. Thank you guys for listening again. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't fuck with us. Later, guys.